Amen. That was good, wasn't it? That was good. That's good stuff. We're blessed, aren't we? The Lord is good. I was thinking about how His goodness brings us to repentance. And the Bible says that His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, continually bringing me right back to Himself. His goodness is continually bringing me back to Him. I'm so grateful for that because there are times in my life that I definitely wander. There are times in my life that I feel, as the hymn writer said, prone to wander, prone to go astray. I'm thankful the Lord is good. And we're going to talk about His goodness this morning. We're going to talk about how good Jesus Christ is. We're going to talk about His love this morning. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 20 and verse number 27. If you're here for the first time, make sure you come back next week and uh, uh, be here as our senior pastor preaches on Father's Day. And, and I know that'll be a real treat for you to be able to hear our senior pastor. He's a preacher's preacher. I love that man, and he's been here uh, for many years and faithfully doing God's work here. And uh, you've got the B team or the D team or the Z team, whatever you want to call it today. Uh, but make sure you come on back next week, and, and we'll be glad to have you. But for today, we're going to look into the life of Jesus Christ. And uh, what better thing to do on a Sunday, right? It's to look into Jesus. Take a look at verse number 27 of the book of Matthew. It, just to give you kind of a, a little bit of a background before we get here, we find that the mother of James and John approaches Jesus, and, and she asks as uh, most mothers are looking for uh, the best for their children, right? And uh, she asks, hey, can uh, my two uh, sons, when you go into glory, can uh, they sit, you know, one on your right side and one on your left side? And, and uh, it's an interesting question. And in fact, it's kind of humorous as you read through the passage because um, the ten other disciples end up hating James and John at this point. Like, what is wrong with your mom? <laughs> what is wrong with her? Because here's what Jesus responds, and he says in verse number 27, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. I love this phrase. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And even better, the follow-up, and to give his life a ransom for many. That many includes you and I. That many includes the, the millions that are still unsaved. That Jesus gave his life a ransom for. He didn't come to, to, to be a king, although he was king. He didn't come to, uh, to, to be given a frivolous life full of all kinds of expensive things and gold and things of that nature. Although he's worthy of it. He came to serve. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And as we talked about last week, he didn't even have a place to put his head down to call his home. Because even those in his own home, they kicked him out. But he saw it as worth it. He saw that life where he really had nothing to claim for his own. He had nowhere to go to call his home. You think about that and you think that's, that's not really a worthy life. But to Jesus, it was everything. Because he was going to give his life a ransom for the lost. And it was worth it. 
to him. Along the way, you'll find that Jesus encounters different people and he encounters those that the world would really deem as unworthy. In fact, if you look at the rest of this passage, and uh, we're going to actually be looking at, at different passages and different people in Scripture. We're going to jump from place to place today. But if you look even at the uh, rest of this passage, you'll find a, a blind man who's calling out to Jesus and, and he's saying, Have mercy on me, thou son of David. And the crowd is literally telling him, Be quiet, be quiet. Go away. Get out of here. Listen, listen. Just, 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 just take your scum and get out of here. Just take your worthlessness and get out of here, you blind man. Get out of here. And Jesus stops. And he finds value even in the blind man. That's the kind of Savior that we serve. But it, it's funny because many times it's not the person we emulate in our life. We don't find worth in the worthless, so to speak. We look at someone and we judge them by their outward appearance and we judge them by maybe what they're wearing or, or, or what kind of car they're driving or what kind of house they live in or, or kind of a, uh, what their lifestyle is and we kind of uh, judge them based upon that without seeing the worth that Jesus saw in that human being. Without seeing the soul that he gave his life a ransom for. How many people have we passed by and almost figuratively in our minds have not stopped to, to see what Jesus Christ sees in that person, but we've walked by and said, no, nah, it's not worth it. We go to our family's house and we, we know that they're lost and we know that, that they're in need for Jesus Christ, but we think it's not worth the argument. We go to work and, and you think to yourself, oh man, you know, I would love to be able to invite this person out to church, but then all of a sudden in your mind you think it's not worth the humiliation that I'll have to face every day. Oh, but Jesus would have said it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, just as we examine your life and as we examine the worth that you saw in other human beings. God, I pray that, Lord, you would remind us of where we were without grace. Remind us of our own worthlessness. Remind us of who we are without you. Remind us of, of, of who we were before you brought your glorious light into our life, walking in darkness without hope. Remind us, Lord, today Remind us so that we can see the worth that you see in others' lives. A soul that needs to be rescued. A soul that needs to be saved. Lord, you, you showed us that there was nothing too far out for you. You went great distances beyond prejudice, beyond, beyond any kind of display of... of a physical ailment. You went, you went beyond that to save a soul. Lord, help us to reach beyond our own prejudice and pride to reach out to others today. Lord, help us to see worth in others' lives. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
when you think of the world, there are many people that started out and, and some say, well, this person's never going to make it. I think of Walt Disney. Did you know that he was called uncreative in 1919? It was fired from his original company. Think of Abraham Lincoln. Did you know that he tried to st- uh, start a ton of biz- businesses? Ultimately, all of them failed. You know, he, he actually ran for president several times and failed and failed. Think of Michael Jordan. He was cut from his high school basketball team. You know, he said this, he said this, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Babe Ruth, his home run record is, is, is legend. 714 home runs. But you know that he held for a long time the, the record also for striking out? He said at one point he held the record for striking out and people, people were, were getting on him pretty badly for this. But he said every strike brings me closer to the next home run. Lucille Ball from the iconic show I Love Lucy. She know she was considered a failed actress, a B-list actress, so much that her drama instructors urged her to try another profession. Henry Hudson in 1611 was fired from his role as commander of the Discovery while exploring the New World because he was suspected of favoritism and food hoarding. Apparently the crew members rebelled Uh, rebelled, I'm sorry, setting him and his sons and others off in a skiff in what is now the Hudson Bay. Rudyard Kipling, you know what, the Jungle Book? He was fired as his role as, in his role as contributor to the San Francisco Examiner in 1889 because he was told by an editor, I'm sorry, Mr. Kipling, but you just don't know how to use the English language. It's funny how many people have, have really come and, and others saw them as worthless, pointless. Even Babe Ruth, I was thinking, I read years and years ago, did you know he was an orphan? Cast off, unwanted, unwanted, worthless. But they found their worth in the world, but I want to look at a couple people that I think are even more worthy. Take a look at William Carey. You know, he was told you can go to the next one, hit the arrow, not the plus button. Okay, we are having troubles. Okay. He was told, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it with consulting you or me. It's interesting that he was told to sit down by not just random people, but by Christians talking about Christians, people who trusted in Jesus Christ. They saw no worth in, in, in what he was, he was going to do to reach souls. You go to the next one, Hudson Taylor. His church only grew to 21 members. But you know, he inspired thousands upon thousands upon thousands to go and reach those in lands that really 
aren't, aren't even, you're not even really supposed to go into to spread the gospel. 21 members the world would have seen as worthless. Worthless. I think of Jim Elliott. He gave his life without seeing a single convert. Not a single one. Worthless, right? Worthless. He said this. You can go to the next slide. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Yes, but he was worthless because he never saw a single soul converted. Yes, but his wife saw the entire tribe that he was trying to reach. And then the tribe north of them. See, what people see as worthless, what people see as having no value, sometimes God sees a value in, a worth in. Take your Bible, and we're going to turn now to John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to look in John chapter number 8, John chapter number 8. Number one, we're going to see that Jesus saw worth in the condemned sinner, John chapter number 8. We're going to be turning a lot today. We're going to be reading a lot of Bible passages today, so I hope you're prepared for that. We're going to do some studying today. John chapter number 8, verse number 1. John chapter 8, verse number 1 says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should, uh, so, such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are, thine, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said, And neither do I. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus found uh, worth in this condemned sinner. And uh, really, we're just going to have the three points on the slides today. But really, I, I see the action. This woman was caught in the very action of adultery. And most of us would kind of, man, that's, that is terrible. It's a sin, right? I mean, it's sinful. It's a sinful action. And the consequence and, and the accusation was correct. It was spot on. And she was caught in adultery. And this is what she deserves. Lord, she, she deserves to die. She deserves to be stoned. And I've found so many times, I've found so many times even my attitude towards sinful people. 
Well, look at that person and look at how wicked and evil they are and look at, look at their actions and, and look at how they, they, they just don't line up with the word of God and they, des- they deserve to be punished. Man, they deserve to be punished. And, and I remember even thinking a few years ago and, and I was thinking about ISIS, of course. Terrible, right? Terrible. Terrible actions, beheading Christians and others who, who won't renounce and, and become uh, uh, part of Islam, okay? Terrible people. But you know what Jesus finds worth in them? And we would point our finger and accuse them and say, man, these are wicked, evil, uh, raunchy people. This is disgusting at what they're doing. And yet, Jesus is the one that came and gave his life for the lost and even them. Because you remember at one point in time that you are a sinner deserving punishment just as much as the worst member of ISIS does. Do you remember at one point that you are deserving of punishment just as, uh, just as much as the worst sinner that you can conceive in your mind? You deserve punishment just as much. You are a condemned sinner. Not just uh, 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 in your actions, but in your being. You are condemned. Condemned to die. The Apostle Paul says, and you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Think about that. Think about in time past who you were. But didn't Jesus find worth in you? see the action and the accusation and remember that that Satan continues to accuse when you look in Revelation chapter 12 and you don't have to turn there today you'll find uh, them labeling this 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 Satan the devil as the accuser of the brethren he still accuses today but I don't just find the action and I don't see the accusation but I see the absolving of the sin Jesus kneels down and he writes in the sand and as he's writing, he, he gets up and he says, uh, you without sin, cast the first stone. Go ahead, it's fine. She's here. Cast the first stone if you're without sin today. And they looked and many believe that he's writing out the commandments or, or the commandments to, uh, to these, these Pharisees. And they look and, and their heart is pricked and their heart is stirred. And they look and they, they think to themselves, well, I, I've got a problem there. And I've got a problem there. And I definitely have a problem there. And one by one, they begin to go away. And Jesus looks up and there's, there's no one else there besides he and the woman. And he says, woman, where are thine accusers? And I love this statement. I love this statement. When we look and we find it in verse number 11, she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, sir, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus doesn't say that there wasn't a problem. He says, go and sin no more. He says, there once was a problem. You were sinful. You were part of this sin nature. And the thing is that Jesus never kind of looks at our past and says there was nothing there. He looks and says, there was sin there, but I've forgiven it. There was sin there, but I've wiped it clean. 
There was sin there, but my blood has paid for that. And here we find this woman who, there was definitely sin there. There was definitely condemnation upon her. But Jesus looks and finds worth in her. And he says, listen, I don't see it anymore. Go and sin no more. So many times, so we would look at others and just kind of give up. They're a lost, they're a lost cause. But Jesus saw a woman who needed forgiveness because he saw someone in whom was worth, worth. I see number two, not just the condemned sinner, but I see the possessed slave. The possessed slave. Take your Bible to Mark chapter number five. Mark chapter number five. This was a man that was a lost cause. Literally a lost cause. Everyone else just kind of let him go. Let him do his own thing. This was a man not just possessed by one a demon, but by many. Mark chapter number five, you'll find in verse number one, and they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship immediately there, met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, and not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And we find this man in this horrendous situation. This is a man uh, with a life of disgrace. He's not just uh, possessed by demons, but he's living amongst the dead. He's living amongst the dead, this man. But he's not just living amongst the dead. He's literally lacerating himself. He's cutting himself. This is a life of disgrace. This is a lost cause. This is someone that, that they say, no, 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 you're never going to reach him. You're never going to reach that person. They'll never come to the truth. They'll never even acknowledge it. They're way out there. They're a lost cause. Why don't you just kind of move on and cut your losses and go to someone else? But how many of you were a lost cause? How many of you are still a lost cause? You're sitting in here and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not worth it. I'm not even worth Jesus looking my way. I'm not even worthy of someone loving me. You don't understand the things I've done. We just talked about a woman who was caught in a very act of adultery. We're now talking about a man who's living amongst the dead and cutting himself. What do you mean? Jesus comes to those who are the very most lost causes. Because you see this life of disgrace that was living amongst the dead and lacerating himself met up with the love of Jesus. You'll find in verse number six, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what do I, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? Even the demons acknowledge who he is. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. 
For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And besought him that much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000. And they were choked in the sea. The love of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It started way before even this passage begins. If you actually look at a map, and I've actually really uh, lately gotten into biblical art, um, biblical atlases and things of that nature. I love looking at the Bible maps and, and seeing where Jesus was at the time of doing this miracle and that miracle. And you'll find that this placement where Jesus is in Mark chapter number 5 is way out of the way. Way out of the way. All the way on the other Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there'd be no reason for any Israelite even to go on that side. There's no reason for it. There'd be no reason for Jesus even to go over there. In fact, when you look towards the end of this chapter, you'll find that they just kind of got up and left and went back to the other side. You see, the love of Jesus started even before the, he met this man. He went out of his way to find this man. I truly believe that this was a divine appointment. This was an appointment of a God who cares about the single, the, 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 the lost one out of the 99. Why? Because he finds worth in lives where we would think that's a disgrace. I see a disgraced life met up with the love of Jesus. But you know, so many times when that happens, there's a life of change. There's a life of change. You know, we could stop right there and marvel at how even the demons, man, they called him the son of the, the most high God, right? I mean, we could stop there and, and talk about that for hours and hours, and we can really talk about what Jesus Christ did and the miracle here. But the real miracle took place afterwards. The real miracle starts in verse number 18. And when he was come to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. I've, I've, also, I've often tried to picture things in Scripture. I'm a picture person. I enjoy getting kind of the, the image of what's going on. And I see, and, and you'll read in this chapter that actually what happened was that, that the farmers of the swine that he sent to the sea got really mad, and, and basically they, they told him to get out of here. And so Jesus and his disciples left. But before he did, this man who was possessed, he runs up to Jesus, and I, I see him even just gripping his feet and saying, listen, please take me with you because I know what I once was. I know what I once was in sin. I know how it damaged my life. I have the scars to prove it. Many of you have scars to prove it, so to speak. You see the baggage, you see, uh, you have the blame, you have this guilt, but Jesus changed your life. Verse number 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And hath compassion on thee. 
and he departed. And he began to publish. This is powerful for me. In Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Decapolis is a collection, actually. It's a, it's a center where ten cities merged. So not only did man go into his own city and said, Jesus changed my life. Here's the scars to prove who it was. Here's the story to tell you what my life once looked like. I've got proof. I've got people that know who I was. I've got proof. I've got people that know how, how lost I was and how I was a slave to sin. How I was a slave possessed. But now this man goes in the center where he can reach the most people that he possibly can. He finds the one spot where he says, listen, this is a great spot because I can reach out to the left and to the right and, and I can go whichever way and find someone to tell about the love of Jesus Christ. And here he is, an old man in Decapolis in his collection of ten different cities did marvel at him and marvel at the story of the love of Jesus Christ. But how many of us that were changed, that have the scars to prove it, that have the backstory to tell of how Jesus changed us, won't even tell a single family member? Because it's not worth it. And the last person that I want to look at today and, and one of the craziest stories in scripture I think is number three the embarrassed Samaritan take your Bible to John chapter number four John chapter number four this is a good one this is a really good one man I get to some Bible stories and I know what's coming I love the book of John because John just tells story after story after story about people that were changed. It's great. John chapter number three, who do we find there? Nicodemus, right? This Pharisee, this rejecter of Christ, here he is accepting who Christ is. He's accepting the fact that he's the one that was sent by God. Nicodemus, a life that was changed. In John chapter number 11, a man who was once dead, Lazarus, he's resurrected and alive because of Jesus Christ. I love that. But when I come to John chapter number 4, man, this is powerful because there's a backstory to it. There's a background to this. Verse number 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was uh, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And verse number four is really an odd route. It's an odd route. He says, and I must needs go through Samaria. If you know scripture well, if you understand the story, you know this is odd. Why? Because for a Jewish man to go through Samaria to, to get to Galilee, it's a little weird. And here's why, even though it was an easier route, 
There was such a prejudice of the Jewish people against the Samaritans that they would literally go around Samaria and get to Galilee. Literally going the longer way, the more difficult way up the riverside, rather than going through the easy paved way that led by Jacob's well. And they would go around it instead. So this was an odd route, but Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. In my opinion, there's a divine appointment. There's someone waiting. I don't just see an odd route, but I see an odd routine. Verse number six and seven says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And if you're just kind of reading this and just kind of looking past it and, and just kind of reading through just like a book, uh, you would kind of maybe pass right through that. The sixth hour, there comes this, this woman at the well. So what? Big deal. Big what? The sixth hour was the brightest and hottest part of the day. This wasn't common. This wasn't something people did. In fact, for someone to go to the well at that hour usually meant that they were avoiding something or someone. To go at this hour meant that, man, nobody was going to be there because they all got their water at the beginning of the day. They all got their water at the, the, the coolest part of the day, the day, part that it was easiest just to go and get the water. In fact, at this time, it, it's even possible that, that when you look at a well, sometimes the well will run dry, sixth hour of the day. Consider this with me. This woman was going through an odd routine for a purpose. She was embarrassed. She didn't want to be seen by anybody. She didn't want anybody to see her. It's interesting that you'll find the story as, as we kind of go through in verse number, verse number 8 says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy me. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? It's not just an odd route. It's not just an odd routine, but there's an odd request. It's an odd request. Jesus is a Jewish man. Why is he asking not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman, to give him water? This is weird. The Jews had such a prejudice against the Samaritans. In fact, they'd rather sit by a Gentile than sit by a Samaritan. They'd rather have communication with a Gentile than Samaritan. They, these Samaritans, they considered to be half-breeds. They were just kind of the scum of the earth. They were just kind of, man, this is, this is, this is dung. This, this person is worse than dung. So Jesus coming up to the well this time, and this woman meeting at this sixth hour instead of really at the right and, and, and or the, the, the morning time, I should say, I'm sorry. But when it comes right down to it, Jesus even talking to her. There was something wrong with that. Something weird about that. This was odd. Why? Because even though no other Jewish people saw worth in her, and maybe even no other Samaritans saw worth in her, Jesus saw it as worth it. 
Even Jesus having communication with this woman would kind of be looked down upon or, or frowned upon because he, he had communication not just with the Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman who was at the well at this weird part of the day. This was odd. This wasn't normal. This wasn't natural, so to speak. But Jesus saw worth in doing this and going beyond what the prejudices of man held. I want to take a look at verse number 11. It says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, that was nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than the father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go and call thy husband and come th- hither. And here's why she's out this time of the day. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said well, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that sayest, uh, saidst thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto him, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I love in verse number 25, Then the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee. I'm not just a random guy asking you for water. This isn't just an odd request. This isn't just an odd route for me. This isn't just some odd routine that you're going through. This is an appointment for you. This is an appointment for you to meet the Son of God. I wonder what person God has appointed for you to meet this week. And will you obey? Will you obey and see the worth in them? beyond any prejudice, beyond any fear, fear of what others may think, fear of what others may say. See the worth that Jesus saw. See the worth that Jesus sees. I love verse number 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said unto the men, come and see a man. Come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? This woman was changed. Her life was different. She went away not looking for water, but looking for people. People that she could tell about this water of life, this living water, this Jesus, this Messiah. Her life was changed. Maybe it's your life that needs to be changed today. Maybe it's today that you've been plagued by people judging you from the outside appearance, not really knowing what you've been through, not really knowing who you are. Maybe you're embarrassed today because you know what you've done. 
maybe you feel condemned, Jesus sees worth in you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You are included in that. That whosoever, you are included in that, believeth on him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Worth it. Ultimately, when you look at the life of Christ, he went to the cross. He suffered an unbearable death there. Unbelievable pain. Even the hours before he died, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Some people believe that in those moments, literally his heart burst within him. This is something that doesn't cause you to die right away, but it's a slow, painful death. It causes you to literally sweat blood. Some people believe that. I'm not denying it. Jesus, knowing the extent of the pain that he was going to face, understanding the sin that was going to be literally laid upon him, for he became sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus taking on sin for us, but it was worth it. It was worth it. Because he saw you. Because he saw you. You are worth it to him. When all others cast you aside, you are worth it to Jesus. Christian, today, no matter what you've done, the lady sang that beautiful song earlier about God's goodness. Remember, it's his goodness that brings us to repentance. It brings us right back to him. Why? Because you are worth it. You're worth it to him. In and of ourselves, we don't have any worth, but to God, we're everything. And that's why he gave his life to die on a cross for our sins. It was worth it. Do we see others this way? Do we look at Tom's River and say it's worth it? It's worth the humiliation. It's worth the pain. It's worth it. It's God's plan for us. It's to see other souls, other people, it's worth it. Let's have a word of prayer. God, today maybe there's there's a fear fear of what others may say, a fear of what others may do. Lord, help us to remember, help us to remember your son. Lord, who went beyond all to reach even just one. Just one. He went out of his way to talk to someone who really others thought he shouldn't even be talking to. Lord, you forgave someone who deserved condemnation, deserved to die. You forgave them because you saw that it was worth it. God, I pray that we would see the loss this way. Mend and fix our hearts. Forgive us for those times where we haven't looked on the lost with love. Forgive us for those times where we haven't taken the moment, the second, to just tell someone that you love them. Forgive us for those times where we haven't seen sharing your gospel as worth it. Lord, 
I pray that you bless in this invitation. We love you.